Engaging Leader, episode 135. How to lead meetings that get results and that people actually want to attend. Featuring Karen Hurt. inspire trust, passion, and action? Welcome to the Engaging Leader Podcast with Jesse Leahy, consultant, writer, and speaker. Jesse has helped executives engage hundreds of thousands of people. Join us now for principles to communicate, engage, and lead with greater impact. Welcome to the show, Engagers. Horrible meetings are a cliche of the business world, and with good reason. Most meetings are a waste of time and don't accomplish much, if anything. Everyone leaves frustrated that they could be doing something more productive with their time, and not only do your results suffer, but so does your credibility as a leader. You know, even though we all love to hate meetings, you cannot achieve results without bringing people together to make decisions and take action, whether that's in person, online, or on a conference call. Today, we're going to talk about specific techniques to running meetings that are efficient, productive, and something people want to attend. I'm excited to welcome back to the show, Karen Hurt, who last joined us in Engaging Leader episode 54 about humility and leadership. How to Teach Confident Humility. Karen is just now releasing her newest book, Winning Well, A Manager's Guide to Getting Results Without Losing Your Soul. Her previous book was Overcoming an Imperfect Boss. Karen is CEO of Let's Grow Leaders, where she's a keynote speaker, a leadership consultant, and an MBA professor. She's a former executive at Verizon Wireless, and she has over two decades of experience in sales, marketing, customer service, and human resources. Karen Hurt, welcome back to Engaging Leader. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Karen, what are the specific reasons people hate meetings so much? (laughs) Well, there's a long list, right? I would say uh, first is that they feel like they're a waste of their time, that they could be doing something more productive. Uh, that's, That's the first um, often it's that they are a waste of time because the wrong people are invited to the meeting. And so one of the things I think is very important when you are planning a meeting is to say, who are the right people necessary to either make decisions or to build relationships and, and stakeholder what you need to do, but not to invite a single person more than that. And I think uh, people hate meetings because they feel like they've been asked to come to them and then they feel obliged to come to them, but they would rather be somewhere else. And if it's a conference call, then they are likely just putting the phone on mute and doing the work that they really want to be doing anyway. And yet they can't really focus their full attention on either the meeting or the work and everything doesn't get done as efficiently or effectively as possible. So that, 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 I think that's the crux of it. Yeah, that's frustrating, when, especially on a conference call, but it happens in face-to-face meetings too when uh, you start having people open up their laptops and look like they're, they, they try to fake like they're engaging in the meeting, but actually they're, getting, they're doing neither part well because they're distracted on, on both ends. They're not really getting their other work done and they're not contributing to the meeting and they're just making it even more wasteful for everybody there. don't have a clear purpose or agenda. And so people say, well, we're having a standing staff meeting. And everybody goes around the room and talks about what they're doing, but why? You know, so one of the things that I think when you're talking about having a meeting is to say, as a result of this meeting, we will. And if you can't answer that question, 
You probably don't need to be having the meeting. <laughs> you you say in the book that there are two specific reasons to have meetings. So what what are those two? Yeah, either to make decisions or to build relationships. And uh, you know, so otherwise, if you're if you're having a meeting just to dump information, then there that's not a building relationships or making decisions meeting. And so then I would say consider if there are other ways to get your message out, uh, because uh, you want your meeting to have interaction. Yeah. So if you if you can't make sure that you're getting one of those two things done, then don't have the meeting in the first place. Don't have the meeting in the first place. Find another way to get people what they need. Why is it important to both get things done and to build relationships? So that is the whole premise of our, our book, right? So we say, you know, the, the, we have this winning well model. We say, you know, right, it's all about confidence and humility, but then results and relationships. And everything you're doing needs to be a, a balance of those. Because if you are overly focused on results, like, we got to get this done by that. And, and people, you don't get engagement. You don't get buy-in. You're not winning people's hearts and spirits. And people may trudge through and do what you need in the short run, but you're not building creativity, long-term investment and thinking. Um, so it's the same with meetings. Um, if your meeting is so buttoned up and all you're talking about is tasks, then you are missing an entire opportunity to build the connection that is going to create um, people who are really invested in your mission. Um, on the flip side of that, you know, relationships are so vital, right? Um, and so how are we working together? Um, what are our common goals? Uh, where are our interdependencies? Um, what are, where are our expectations and how are we meeting or not meeting each other's expectations? Opportunities to give each other feedback. Um, is there an elephant in the room, something big that we are ignoring? Let's surface that and talk about that while we're face-to-face in this meeting rather than having everybody talk about it offline behind everyone else's back. Right? So it's important in a meeting to have make sure that you're allowing time for that um, that soft connection and the conversation to emerge. Um, that's where you're going to see constructive dissent um, and create a safe environment where people will be willing to challenge you. Of course, if a meeting is too focused on, let's just have a team builder, right? And you know, I'm not a big fan of, oh, let's just go bowling. You know, and so I think the team builders that have more of a purpose um, are the most effective, right? So it's it's a balancing act of that, and because if you're just focused, if your meetings are too, uh, oh, what did you do this weekend? Then everybody will be sitting there going, this is a complete waste of my time. I have work to do. So it basically gets down to. The same two reasons why most of the people are at the organization in the first place. It's the purpose of the organization as well as the relationships that exist there. They may not have signed up to, to join your company because of the relationships, but that is a big part of what keeps them engaged and motivated. Yeah, I mean, I would encourage your listeners just when you think about they looking back at the highlights of their career – Yes, there's probably things that they're really proud of accomplishing, but my guess is what is most meaningful is the human beings they've connected with and the relationships that they've developed along the way and and how that's helped them to grow and how they've helped other people to grow. 
<laughs> now, I want to dig a little deeper into how to lead effective meetings and meetings that people actually want to attend. But first, in the book, you lead into this topic with this idea of setting clear expectations. And you mentioned this rather staggering statistic that in your work, you found that roughly 90% of the problems that managers have with poor performance has to do with deficiencies in this area. Can you tell us, explain that for us? Yeah. So it's so important to, to establish very clear expectations of what it is that you want to accomplish. And where I see consistently across a variety of industries, it break down is as managers may think, have a very clear idea in their head of what it is that they want, but either they're not articulating it appropriately or consistently enough, or they are not checking for understanding. And so what I really encourage is, is for people to say, okay, ask, all right, so what did you, what, what did you hear me say? And you don't want to do that in a condescending way, but okay, I just want to double check that we're all clear. Can you repeat back to me what you think we're, we're looking to do next? And you will find often people will get most of it, but they'll leave <laughs> out a, a certain part. Um, so the, the clear expectations really involve you know, who's going to do what, by when, and how will we know it's been accomplished. Um, and so if you can answer those questions with your expectations, I think that will be good. Because sometimes where it breaks down is even though you've expected something, you've not defined the finish line. You're a runner, right? So you're not saying this is what it looks like when we've crossed the finish line. Mm -hmm. um, or this is what, um, how, you know, um, I need this done. I need this done. I need you to do this. Okay, so I put it. I put it on my list. I put it at the bottom of my list, and then I go about my day, and I'm thinking, feeling like I'm very productive. And you come back and say, "Is it done?" Well, you didn't. Your expectation was not clear that you say, "I need this done by three o'clock today." And so that's when managers go, "What is wrong with these people? Why are they not doing what I'm asking?" And then, then that's where this negative cycle comes in, where the manager gets frustrated, and then the employees say, well, "What are you? I'm working really hard. What are you talking about?" So if you can just eliminate all that noise by just being perfectly clear up front with that, and then so once you set the expectations, then the next thing, next step of that is. Do the people that have the skills and abilities and tools that they need to meet those expectations, right? And so to, to check for understanding and circle back, um, I was in a meeting, I'm not making this up the other day, and it was an apartment, it was an apartment company, and they, um, the guy I was talking, giving them some training on how, how to manage up based on my Imperfect Boss book, right? And so he goes, I just got this text from my boss, and it says, can you go check to see if there's water damage in this department? Please go do that by, as soon as your training is over. He said, the problem is I have no idea what water damage looks like. <laughs> I have no ability to do that. What do I do? And to me, that was perfectly clear what you do. You tell your boss you have no idea how to do that. Mm -hmm. But it didn't even cross his mind that that was an option for him. You know, and so I think that, that that's part of it is, is as, a, as a manager – um, I'd like you to check for water damage. Have you ever done that before? <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. Another story you tell in the book is how there was, a, I think, the, as I remember it, there was a, a rather major project and it was not moving forward uh, consistently. And um, it, there was all these delays. And when they finally 
investigated why the heck this project wasn't moving forward. It was simply that a large percentage of the people uh, were not adept at using the project management system. It was just a little software thing, and there was like one button they they were missing and using, and that little issue was holding up this project for weeks and months at a time. Yes, exactly. So, so checking back, um, getting setting clear expectations is important, and then following up with people to uh, so that you can make sure they're trained, that they're fully trained and equipped, and then uh, reinforcing those expectations. You mentioned the, this 28-day guideline. What, what's so magical about that? Well, so, you know, of course, your, your daily expectations, I always say you communicate five times, five different ways, right, and reinforce. But what, what I often find where the bigger picture expectations break down is that people are not reinforcing the big things, like the values, the strategy, what, what customers really want. And so I like, and we talk, David and I talk about this in the book, about a cadence of every 28 days, making sure that you are reinforcing your big picture items and your big picture expectations, right? I expect that the customer's issues will be resolved the first time they, they bring it to our attention. That could be a big picture expectation. So, of course, you're weaving that in with the behaviors that will get to that. But you should be reinforcing that big picture item consistently um, once a month. Hmm. So, getting back to meetings. This is all sort of leading up to why we hate meetings. And a big part of that is because we feel like they're a waste of time. And the first step in making sure they're not a waste of time is making sure we have clear expectations set, both going into the meetings with these big picture themes and objectives and priorities. But it, it, that recognizes one of the shortcomings of meetings is we people, they, they feel like they're a waste of time because they leave and then nobody gets anything done or not done enough. Right. And uh, then when, when you come back for another meeting, it's like, I can't believe we're meeting again. We didn't get even get the stuff done right. last time. <laughs> right. And why is that so common that that happens? I, I think it's because you do, that uh, there people are forgetting the most important part of the meeting, which is the last five minutes, which is who's going to do what, by when, and how will we know, and writing that down. Okay, so John, you're going to call these three customers. Sarah, you're going to uh, look at the sales funnel and understand our biggest three biggest priorities. And uh, Joe, you're going to make sure that the IT systems are prepared to, for our new launch, right? And then you um, and you're going to do that by everybody's going to do that by Wednesday at four, and then we're going to come back together and we're going to do a readout, and that's how we'll know, okay? And so it's when you do that, then it's you start the next meeting. People are very unlikely to come unprepared if they know they have that specific of a deliverable. I think it's really helpful. You mentioned writing it down. And if there is some mechanism you can use during the meeting where it's written and everybody sees it written so that we can agree on, because it's, man, it's so, it's really frustrating if you take the time to clarify expectations at the end and then everybody walks out thinking they know what they're going to do. And then you get back to the the next meeting and you, you find out that People somehow walked away with different expectations, even though we said them, uh, our, our memories don't quite have them the same. Yeah, yeah. The other thing that I have always done um, in, my, in my work, at, when I was working at Verizon, was to end, before we ended, I would say, how is everybody feeling? 
And you will be amazed how many times somebody says they've been quiet the whole freaking time and, and they're, they're taking their action items and they're doing their things. And then somebody will say, you know, I'm a little worried about the direction of this. I'm not sure the customers are going to like it as much as we think. And all of a sudden, you, but gosh, if you hadn't asked that question, it would not have surfaced. And, and that constructive dissent is something that you really need to talk about. So I would encourage people to do that. I didn't do that earlier in my career. I would. I was more of a cheerleader at the end of it, like, oh, well, thank you so much, everybody. You've done such a great job. This project is going to be fantastic. And so when you say end it like that, then everybody's like, well, she's the leader. I guess we're all right. Better not bring that up. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good idea. And it, it speaks to your earlier point about making sure you have the right people in the room, both not too many, but also not too few diverse voices. If, if you've got everybody that's just a bunch of yes men, yes. when you get to the end and you ask that question, you're not actually going to get anything valuable. But to, to, to get some people that have different, um, come from different backgrounds and can, when there is an issue let's or attention, let's, let's raise it. Yeah. So getting back to the, 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 two, the dual purpose of a meeting is, is getting things done and building relationships. And so we've talked about, okay, setting clear expectations, who's going to do what, by when, and how will we know is kind of part of the getting things done. And you, you've mentioned a few ideas for how do you um, enhance the relationship aspect, and I don't want to gloss over those uh, too quickly. So um, just, I know I'm making you repeat a little bit, but you, there, there, you've got a few questions that sometimes you ask to just bring everybody back to big picture. Can you um, remind us what those might be? Yeah, so, um, you know, some are like the, the cultural conversations, like what's really getting in the way of people using our new system? Yeah. Right, to ask a question, open-ended, strategic question, or uh, what have you seen another member do well over the, the last month? Give people an opportunity to um, call out and recognize the other people in the room. I think that could be really good. Um, also, there's like the elephant in the room conversations, like um, what are the conversations we're not having in this meeting that we should be having? Yes. And then be quiet, <laughs> right? Because if you go, if you just go, all right, well, because you know, that is a big question that, that makes people really think, and you, it may take a minute, especially for the introverts in the room, to really process that question. Um, so you may even in advance put that in the agenda and say, well, I'm going to ask this question. I want people to come prepared to, to raise the conversations that we should be having that we're not having so that it gives people time to think through that. Um, and then mutual help conversations. Um, let's talk about how we're working with other departments. What's working well? Where do we have challenges? Um, you know, where could we be more effectively supporting one another? And so these are the strategic questions that, that really make it safe to talk about the process, not just, uh, and, and the relationships, not just the work. Yeah, and as you go and you have those kind of conversations and then make sure that you follow up on them regarding those last five minutes of the meeting, clarifying what are we going to do about those, it tends to build trust, doesn't it? That it's safe to have these kind of conversations. And if if I bring stuff up, then when we find real issues, we're going to work on stuff together and, and uh, improve things, make progress. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, you know, the best way to build trust is to um, do what you say you're going to do, right? So... 
if we say we're going to really help each other, then we need to talk about how we helped each other in the next meeting or whether we didn't. And, and, and make it safe to say, okay, well, we said we were going to copy each other on um, our best practices for this next week so that we would really share. But what I've noticed is that we didn't really do that. People still are a little guarded. There, I think there may still be some competition here. Um, <laughs> so let's, let's talk about that. And um, the very best teams that I've ever worked on were the ones that weren't afraid to have the those kind of icky conversations. Um, it just, uh, in fact, I just had uh, 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 drinks with a guy who I worked with. Uh, like, you know, we, we worked together 15 years ago, and we were on a extremely high-performing team. But we also talked about we were reminiscing and said, "But remember all that conflict we had, <laughs> you know?" And uh, but now, I mean, we're still extremely good friends and uh, supporting one another, even though we're both on moving on to other things, you know. So working through that conflict actually can leave a more lasting, uh, productive relationship. Having this sort of dual focus of every meeting, both building relationships and achieving results is a little bit counterintuitive. I mean, generally, I would just create an agenda. We got to get this done. We got to get this done. We got to get this done. But I think you're right. I've seen the magic that happens when, okay, we got to get these things done, but we also need to invest in relationships. I, I remember being on a, a very high performing team and the, the team was spread out all over the country. And the only way to really make strategic progress was the leader would bring everybody together for a full day meeting every month. So if you can imagine out of everything you're doing as one of these team members, you got to give up at least a day plus travel to sit in a meeting all day. And um, as you can imagine, after two of those, most people would be started to dread them. Oh my gosh, I got to go. Well, what they found is because the meetings were exactly what you said. It was getting things done. Real things got done. Real progress was made and relationships were being built, everybody was happy to come. In fact, people started inviting themselves to these all-day meetings, and the leader had to start making tough choices. You know, people wanted to be in these because it was so fantastically valuable uh, use of time. And uh, that is just unheard of. I mean, people hate meetings, and yet to see that magic happen shows the power of both building relationships and achieving results. Yeah, that's a great that's a great example. Um, I was in a meeting. I'm I'm working as a consultant with a with a company, and we're doing most of the work on video conferencing with people because they've got somebody in Manila, somebody in the Philippines, uh, two people in Scotland, and me, and, and you know, and in Baltimore, and so we can't really get together. Mm-hmm. But we were launching this meeting. And I thought, this is so interesting. The, the, the project manager said, okay, we're going to start with um, you know, a little bit of introductions because we are all new to each other. And I want you to t- say one interesting thing about you that nobody, that nobody would ever guess. Like the, the, Even if they Googled Karen, who's all over the place, you wouldn't know this about her. right? And I thought, wow, um, we don't really have time for this. <laughs> that is fine <laughs> to me. And I was like, I don't know, we have time for this because we only have an hour and we have so much to do. And yes. um, It was so important that we did that 
I, I could just watch everybody relax and open up and the trust, because, you know, people were saying, well, I, my thing was that I was struck by lightning, you know, and so that, everybody wanted to hear this, <laughs> right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, and we learned things about each other that we couldn't possibly have gotten from the bio. So uh, it was a good, that was a good 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. And um, I think we're moving faster as a result. Yeah, and there's there's a false notion that, you know, if we, I got to have, I got to get all 10 things on my agenda done or this isn't productive. And in the, in the short term, that may feel true, but what really, I mean, people actually only get one or two or three big things done in a given day, right? Yeah. A lot of times in a given week, one really big thing in a week. And so if you can spend some time to build relationships and then, yeah, you've got a bunch of uh, discussion items and decision items. And then, but make sure you use that last five or 10 minutes as that golden opportunity to ask those three questions yeah. and get them, get them in writing in front of everybody. It, it uh, makes the whole meeting actually worth it. That's what people are going to remember over time. It's a good group of people to work with and we actually get things done. Yes. So, uh, yeah, I, it's so tricky to actually do that in the last five minutes because you know the meetings may be running over or I'm, right. I'm sick of talking about this and I why do we have to say that we did we already said you're gonna do this and I'm gonna do that why do we have to rehash that I just had a meeting a couple weeks ago where somebody said hey can we just go back over what everybody's doing and I was the one who said no I think we're clear on that let's <laughs> let's move on so I'm seeing here that's a that's a trap to to fall in that because the reality is when you, we got back later and people had different memories of what they had committed to. <laughs> yeah, I put this in the category of go slow to go fast. Uh, a lot of times you think, well, we don't that's slowing us down, but it's so much better to do whatever you can in a project and any anything to go a little slower at the beginning so that you can then um, be more aligned on the path forward. Yeah, because if you meet a week later or a month later and you find people re- discover that things didn't get done or that, oh, I thought we were going to make that decision at our next meeting. No, you guys are supposed to make that decision and then go make it happen. Now we've lost a whole month just to sit here and talk about it more. <laughs> yeah. Very demotivating people and they don't want to come back to your meetings. Right. Totally lose credibility as a leader. Well, how to lead meetings that are effective and that people want to attend is just one topic covered in your new book, Winning Well, A Manager's Guide to Getting Results Without Losing Your Soul. Tell us more about the book. Yeah, so um, it is uh, coming out in April. Uh, in fact, there's actually some advanced copies that are shipping earlier, so I'm really excited about that to see them in people's hands. Um, but it's all about uh, the concept of the Winning Well model, which is that you have to have confidence and humility, and those are your internal values, and you need to have a strong balance between that. And you and I have talked about confident humility before. Right. Uh, and so confidence is having a strong, audacious vision, uh, being willing to take risks, help, help having the uh, confidence to say, yes, we can accomplish more than we ever thought possible, but also coupled with the humility of realizing the mission is bigger than you and your own agenda, surrounding yourself with people who will challenge you, uh, being a little vulnerable and um, being willing to um, let people see who you really are as a human being. So those are the internal values. And then there's the results and the relationships piece that we've talked about earlier and then how you have that balance. 
And that when you have that sweet spot between confidence, humility, results, and relationships, that's where you get a winning well manager who is getting results that sustain over time and, um, and, and has, a, have, has a team of people that are interested in working. <laughs> yeah. And then if any of those are out, out of balance, then we have these prototype managers. So one is a user manager who is overly confident, overly focused on results, and uh, they are getting things done, but at a, an enormous price to both the long-term sustainability of the organization or project and to the people. And to themselves, honestly, that's where the losing your soul stuff comes in. Um, or you have somebody who's overly focused on relationships and uh, you know maybe overly humble, and they're the pleaser manager. And all they do is try to please everybody, but the problem is you can't please all the people all the time. And so then you get in this downward spiral of trying to please who's ever sitting in front of you at that particular moment, and that just doesn't work, and you're not getting the results. And then the other model is a gamer, where somebody is, you know, trying to manipulate the people or the system to get the results, and that degrades trust. And so the whole book is based on that premise, but really then gets very tactical, I mean, with very practical advice. Uh, this is how you lead meetings. This is how you give performance feedback. This is how you terminate someone with grace and dignity. Um, and so the, the whole um, second section of the book, after introducing it, is all about these tactical things. And then the third section is all about how do you really pull out and inspire your team uh, by really focusing on the, the relationships within the team. And then the last section all talks about leaving a win winning well legacy. And um, how do you not only become a manager who wins well, but how do you, you create those competencies in other people and build that throughout the organization? So that theme of creating sustainable results over time is really significant. And then without losing your soul really, to me, reminds us that a lot of the people that we think of as bad managers, they actually started with good intentions. But yes. due to the pressures that they were under or different circumstances, they fell into certain patterns of leadership and management and, uh, and, and end up sort of creating, um, they may get results for a time, but at, yeah, as you said, as, at an enormous cost. And I, I love the, the way the book helps you, the, the manager start to st pull back from some of those patterns and look for more sustainable ways to lead. Yeah. Thank you. You and your co-author, David Dye, uh, recorded a really fun video that I saw on YouTube uh, w featuring an interview with Darth Vader, <laughs> which really was one of the classic stories of our time about somebody who maybe started out with uh, good intentions but lost his soul and then became this epitome of the kind of leader that, uh, that may achieve results for a time but at a, a terrible cost. Yes, uh, uh, Darth Vader is the penultimate user manager. <laughs> he would he would use you, and then uh, whenever you displeased him, he would uh, basically just finish you off. Exactly. <laughs> well, the book again is Winning Well: A Manager's Guide to Getting Results Without Losing Your Soul. Karen, where can folks find out more about your work and get their hands on your book? Oh, great! Uh, so my website is letsgrowleaders.com. And uh, the book landing page is winningwellbook.com. And you can actually download the first three chapters of the book for free there um, and watch a video trailer to learn more about it. 
And uh, so I'd love to have your your listeners uh, download it and see because they can take a look at the Winning Well model and uh, see how they can apply it in their organizations. Now, you also offer a brand new online course about the book for either folks that aren't into reading or maybe they read the book and they want a, sort of an easy way to start implementing this. Can you tell us about that course? Yes, I'm so excited about the course. It's, uh, it's under development now and it's really meant to, as you say, it could either be used in, as a combo, um, which I, I've already talked to many companies that that's what they're going to do. They're going to get the book and read the book first and then do the course. Um, and then, or it definitely could just do the course. It's um, very interactive. It's I've got um, online video where um, David and I are explaining, tell, sharing our personal stories, um, stories of, of, of the examples, uh, winning well examples that are stuff we use in our keynotes. So they're fun and uh, you know engaging. Um, we have some surprise. I don't want to spoil it, but we definitely have a lot of humor uh, weaved in and with different actors and that kind of thing. So it's really high energy. And then we teach you the skills and then we give you practical tools to apply it and things to go back and work on with your team. So um, it, it's a, it's gonna be it's gonna be really fun. Yeah, very cool. Well, Karen Hurt, thanks for joining us again on Engaging Leader. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate the opportunity. All right, Engagers, that wraps up this episode. Check out our show notes for the links that Karen mentioned for her book, her website, the online course, and the fun Darth Vader interview. You'll find the show notes for this episode on our website at engagingleader.com. And you can always get easy access to past episodes by clicking on podcast, then engaging leader, and then archive. Or you can subscribe to the show on iTunes or Stitcher. This is a production of Aspendale Communications, a consulting firm that specializes in workforce communications. My colleagues and I partner with midsize and large employers to attract top talent, engage employees, and deliver superior business results. Find us at AspendaleCommunications.com. Our thanks to Monica Harrison, our producer, Tom Hitchcock, our programming director, James Marler, our sound engineer, Cecily Leahy, our web intern, Rick Tarrant, our announcer, and Max Brody, who composed our theme music. Until next time, remember, in the 21st century, the real movers and shakers aren't just leaders, they're engagers.